0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you're listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. This has been such a wild week for me. I am drowning in work, which is fine. I took a much-needed break for a few weeks just because I knew so much stuff was coming down the pipeline and I wanted to just have a clear head and a clear perspective when this time came. So I'm good, but it's just a lot. These are good problems. I I'm, I'm happy to have the work. I'm very thankful to be busy. I'm still working on the Ratchet and Respectable merchandise. I will be announcing it on my social media. So if you want merchandise for Ratchet and Respectable and I hope that you do, you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Demetria L Lucas. I'll put up an announcement in advance of when the merchandise will go on sale so that everyone has equal access to it. I'm really looking forward to that and getting your goodies to you in time for the holidays. In world news, I would just like to note that I'm recording this on November 19th. It has been over two weeks since the presidential election, and the occupant in the White House has still refused to concede and acknowledge that Joe Biden won. He's filed lawsuits in multiple states contesting that Joe Biden won. I think all but one of the lawsuits has been thrown out. The other one, it's just a matter of time. I, I I don't even know what to say. We talked about him not conceding last week. The bigger problem isn't just the act of concession. It's that he's holding up the transfer of power. He's not giving Joe Biden or anyone on the transition team access To very necessary information. Now, last week we talked about the occupant holding up the transition funds and it was keeping Biden's team from being able to do thorough background checks. This week it's gotten worse. Two drug companies have announced that they have vaccines that are between 90 and 95% effective in trials. They're waiting for them to be fast tracked approved through the FDA, which is great information. They're also saying that essential workers can be vaccinated before the end of the year, which, again, amazing news. They're also saying that the vaccination can be available to the public as early as April. The problem is these vaccines have to be distributed to 330 million Americans. The occupants team will not cooperate with Biden's team In order to find out exactly where the country is with coronavirus in terms of stockpiles, in terms of planning out this distribution. And Biden has said, if you don't give me access, this big vaccine that you're taking credit for, you're saying was part of your Operation Warp Speed, which whoop de doo and good for you. But if you don't coordinate with us, you're going to delay the vaccinations. And the longer you delay the vaccinations, the more likely people are to die. As I'm speaking today, over 250,000 Americans have died from coronavirus. It did not have to be this way.
1: Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. (laughs) I have fully or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I
0: I'm not going home for Thanksgiving. I didn't last year either, so it's not a huge deal. But I don't even know if I'm going to someone's house to eat this year. All the scientists are all over the news warning people, stay in your household. Do not mix households. It's just me in this household. So I cook a little bit, but I can't like do a Thanksgiving spread. So I don't know what this Thanksgiving is going to look like. It might look like some lobster noodles or some pad thai or some barbecue cauliflower. I'm not sure. This will be interesting. I saw a press conference the other day, or maybe it was a town hall with Joe Biden. I'm so thankful for this man. He hasn't even done anything spectacular yet. All he's done has been decent. He was doing a town hall conversation with these central workers. I think the woman was a nurse. She was talking about treating patients and how many people have passed. She talked about people who work at the hospital who contracted COVID and then she has to treat her friends and colleagues and how terrible it is and she got very emotional and she apologized she said I'm sorry for being emotional which like we're talking about 250,000 people who died like if ever there was a time to be emotional this is it Biden got choked up and he said no don't apologize and he said I'm emotional too I can't wait until January when there are some adults in charge again Congratulations to Congressman Cedric Richmond. He's going to join the Biden administration as a senior advisor. If you think you're not familiar with Cedric Richmond, you actually are. Remember the congressman who said he had a black son, but it turned out that the child was Cuban and didn't consider himself black, nor was he actually the man's son? This is a white man. It was a bizarre ass story. But Congressman Richmond was in the House chambers and he was talking about the value of black lives. And this white congressman got all upset and started like just flipping out. And Richmond was like, I reclaim my time, you know, hit dogs, holler. And then after the man just finally kept going and going and going, he stopped. And Congressman Richmond asked, he said, was that a nerve? We talked about him many times, one liners for days, but he's very much an adult with good common sense. And so I feel good. With him and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris and President-elect Joe Biden out here showing, you know, actual feelings and compassion for people who have died during a pandemic, I, I, I actually feel like we might be okay with this Biden administration. It ain't going to be the Obama administration, but I think we might be okay. Speaking of Barack Obama, he's on the cover of InStyle magazine. The tagline is, that's what I do. There was a viral video right before the election of of Barack Obama. He shot a long-distance three-pointer, all net. He was feeling himself. Everyone was like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. And he was like, that's what I do. Somebody handed him a coffee with a smooth transition, and he sauntered his way out the room. Joe Biden was in the room. Now, mind you, Joe Biden is running for president. Wasn't nobody paying attention to Joe Biden in that clip. It was all about Barack My book has not arrived yet. Maybe it'll be in today's mail. But I heard a lot of people have been getting their books a day or two early and started reading. They say it's really, really good. It's very long. It's 701 pages. And this is volume one. He has much to say. From what I've heard about the book, he's very candid. People who are listening to the Audible are in love with it. They were like, it's wonderful. It's like Barack Obama is reading you bedtime stories. And I was like, yes. An adult has entered the room. I love adults. What else is going on? Oh, little Wayne, which I'm loathe to talk about. I just found this to be a very interesting detail. So right before the election, Wayne comes out with like a full on Trump endorsement. Like he posts this picture. He says these glowing words and everyone was like, who asked for this? No one asked you for this. Why did you do this? Folks thought that maybe Wayne was running low on funds. I know he's been in a beef with baby for a minute I don't think he's allowed to release new music. I don't know what his royalty situation is. I did hear that his girlfriend left him after that Trump endorsement, which good for her. But I read today that Lil Wayne has just been hit with a federal weapons charge and could face serious prison time if convicted. The U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of Florida. I cut and pasted this from somewhere. I think it's TMZ. But the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of Florida has charged the rapper with one count of possession of a firearm and ammunition by a convicted felon. He was convicted for a felony gun charge in New York back in 2009. He faces up to 10 years in prison if convicted. The charges for a December 2019 incident where federal agents searched his plane. He was a passenger on the plane, which made a stop in Florida. On its way to California. I vaguely remember this story. I think it was a gold plated gun. That's so stereotypical for a rapper. But a federal weapons charge would explain his friendliness with Trump. I wouldn't be trying to go to jail for 10 years. Not saying it's right what he did. I'm saying if I had a federal weapons charge, then maybe aligning myself with the president might help me get out of it. I don't know. Good luck with that one, Wayne. I think you might have got played just like Ice Cube did. Womp.
1: Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully
0: I made a list of films, TV shows, and documentaries that I've either watched or am interested in watching. I posted it on my social media pages, so you can check that out. Again, at Demetria L. Lucas. But there are, but there are a couple I just want to highlight, either because I've seen them or people are talking about them and I'm super interested. One of them is Steve McQueen's series, Small Acts, which is coming to Amazon, I think, tomorrow. There are five films. and. They cover the West Indian community in London from the late 60s to the early 80s. I've seen the screeners for three of them. The first one is Mangrove. It was a really strong film. But the second one, Lover's Rock. I've had access to the screener for two weeks. I have watched Lover's Rock every night before bed for two weeks. It's amazing. It's kind of like... Remember House Party with Kid in Play? It's like that, sort of. Without giving anything away, it's about a girl named Martha who goes to a house party on Saturday night. And it's a really good party. It's O.D. black culture. And I say black because even though it's West Indian, I've seen the same thing at house parties in different cities all over America. I've seen the same thing at parties in South America. I've seen the same thing at parties in Africa. I've never been to a house party in the U.K., but I was like, oh, black folks just party the same way throughout the diaspora. Okay. The music is amazing. And there's this one scene. And if you've seen the commercials, you've seen parts of this scene. So, again, not giving anything away but it's a room full of people singing this song by Janet Kay called Silly Games. This song came out in 1979. I'd never heard it, never heard of it until two weeks ago. I have been playing that song nonstop. I will put on this film and go directly to the 30 minute mark just so I can watch this scene. It's six or seven minutes, they let the whole song play. But of black folks at a house party just enjoying blackness singing, dancing, the mood, the moment, it's it's amazing. You can hear it in my voice. Like it's one of the best films I've seen in a really really long time. You must watch it. You must tell me that you watched it and you must tell me if you loved this movie as much as I did. Mm. HBO Max just released the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air reunion special. I think it came out last night. I have not had a chance to watch it yet, but the reviews have been amazing. I've seen a bunch of clips from it. The original Aunt Viv showed up for the reunion, which Will Smith had teased online, so I knew it was coming, but even still, watching her walk into the studio and seeing her with the cast again, which we haven't seen. Will Smith pointed out it's been 27 years since she was on the show. As someone who grew up on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, like, it was a moment. Also, as someone who's listened to the original Aunt Viv, you know, blast Will Smith for the better part of these 27 years. It was it was a moment. And Jazzy Jeff looked good. I've never really looked at Jazzy Jeff and been like, ooh. But he looked like something to see on this special. I was like... Yeah, the LA Times had a really good review of the reunion, particularly about Will Smith and Janet Herbert. Janet gave some some background in the reunion. Janet gives some background on her perspective of what happened with her exiting the show. Will Smith has, has talked about her not being agreeable, I think is a fair word, on set. Herbert says that the third season of the show, which was her final season, she says that she was pregnant and then she was also in an abusive marriage. So she wasn't, quote, laughing, smiling, and joking with the cast. She says, quote, I wasn't unprofessional on set. I just stopped talking to everybody because I didn't know who to trust because I had been banished. And she said to Will, they said it was you who banished me. She says that, that Will Smith calling her, hard to work with, took a lot away from her. She said words can kill. Calling a black woman difficult in Hollywood is the kiss of death, and it's hard enough for a dark-skinned black woman in this business. Of his actions 27 years ago, Smith says that he did wrongfully contribute to the situation on set, and he acknowledged, quote, there was a certain foundational element that was broken when Janet left. He said of their sit down, it was the first time I was ever able to see how much pain she is in and was in and just what she was carrying. And having experienced a divorce and become a father himself, he tells Hubert, I can see now the level of pain and the level of struggle that it was for you just to show up every day. One note, Herbert says that she actually was not fired from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. She says she was trapped After being offered a reduced salary in the third season, and she said that stung even more because she had a newborn and a husband who was out of work. She said she turned down the offer, and instead of renegotiating, she was recast. She says, when I left the show, family disowned me. Hollywood disowned me. My family said, you've ruined our name. Hmm. That's a little extreme. You ruined our name because you were said to be difficult on a show or you got fired from a sitcom? Really? Hmm. I mean, her truth is her truth, and you never know what goes on behind the scenes. But her family sounds a little extreme, which isn't unheard of. Herbert said of her appearance on the reunion, after 27 years being here today and having the conversation that Will and I had together, it's healing. I cannot tell you how unbelievable and wonderful it feels. I'm overwhelmed. I've heard people who watched the show were like, I was a puddle of tears. I feel like everyone around my age grew up on this show and we were very invested in the show. I think everyone acknowledges that the original Aunt Viv was the best Aunt Viv. The beef that she has had with Will for the last 27 years has, I wouldn't say tainted the show, but it's. It's a gloomy cloud that's sort of been on the margins when you discuss the show, knowing that some of your favorite characters in real life don't get along well. But this is good. A lot of people watched it and they said they became very emotional. They didn't realize how tied up they were in the friction that was happening with the cast, which I can totally see. Because even reading this, I have been um, outspoken to put it mildly, about some of Aunt Viv's antics over the last few years. Like she's taken some really hard shots, continuous shots for damn near 30 years over a TV show. It's always been very clear that the show meant a lot to her and that she had an open wound about this. 27 years is a long time to be angry or upset or bitter about something. And sometimes... Things happen to us in our lives and we just get trapped in a narrative. We get trapped in a cycle of hurt because that's really what this is. It's hurt and we don't process it in a healthy way. So after 27 years, I'm really happy. Not even just for one of my favorite shows, the cast is happy again. But as a woman who has been through hurt and had to process hurt, it's not a good feeling to be in it. It takes a lot of work to get through it. Very rarely in life do you get to sit down with the person that you feel wronged you and have them acknowledge the wrong and apologize for the wrong. It really does make a difference. In the very rare times that it's happened in my life, it has made a huge difference. There's many ways to get closure, but people specifically want it in this kind of way. And rarely does it happen. I'm glad that that an invite was extended for her to attend the reunion because it would have been weird for her not to be there. But I'm also glad that she agreed to attend because I think that took a lot on her part after what she's been through, after what she's been holding on to. And I also think it's great that Will extended an apology to her. I think it was a clip that I saw on Instagram and he was like, i run around telling people to be their best selves and to apologize and to take accountability. Meanwhile, I haven't spoken to one of my cast members for 27 years. And he was like, it just wasn't right it was time to put that to bed. I remember when stories about this reunion first started coming up and I was like I'm really impressed that you know Will Smith and Janet are getting together that he extended the olive branch and a couple people were like don't be so impressed he's an actor who's acting he needs this bag the reunion show won't get the ratings without Janet being present which is true but for the non-pessimist side of me who just likes to sometimes just believe in the good of folks this makes me really happy. Season four of The Crown came out on Sunday. The Crown is one of my favorite series. Like, I love the budget of this show. It's also great writing, great acting, great plotting. Like, it's just a good, good series. I'd cleared my schedule weeks in advance in order to do nothing on Sunday but binge all 10 of the new episodes. If you have not watched The Crown yet, I would not advise that. This season is about Charles and Diana. It's brutal to watch. And we all know the story by now. Diana did some big interviews. She wrote a book about her experience being a royal. All the terrible things that happened in their relationship. I knew the facts. I knew the details. But watching it play out. And also as like a grown, grown adult. I have a different perspective on some of the things that she said years ago. I heard the salaciousness of it. But I didn't really recognize how crazy it was. Like when Charles met Diana... He was dating her older sister and she was 16 years old. And then when he meets her again to actually start pursuing her, I think she's 18. She's a kid. He's in his 30s. Like you have nothing in common with this child. But she fits this image that they need for the royal family. And so when he meets this child he sort of sets sights on her and was like, oh, I think this could work. And then he brings the child to meet the family. And they're like, oh, yeah, she checks all the boxes. Proceed. But like he asked her to marry him after maybe being out with her two or three times. She says yes and then like goes away for six weeks and never calls her. The loneliness is palpable. And I know like this is exaggerated for TV. But these are also things that Diana has expressed in her interviews, and in her books about how alone she was. I didn't realize that he was still carrying on with Camilla, who he's now married to, when they got married. I remember the interview she did where she talked about how there were three people in her marriage. It wasn't like, you know, he was dating her and then he met Diana and he stopped. And then he tried to be like a stand-up husband, and then there was friction. And so then he started cheating. No, it was like all the way along. And Diana's like a city girl. He has her living out in the middle of nowhere because the middle of nowhere place that they're living is 15 minutes from his mistress. It's it's terrible. And then the way that Camilla throws it in Diana's face, the way that Charles talks to her. And then throughout the series, she's constantly reaching out to members of the royal family, like asking for help, saying that like, This isn't working and like I'm on the brink and like I need support. Like help me. The queen is just like, yeah, get over it. If you watch previous seasons of The Crown, it's just the way she deals with everything. And it's just like you don't have the ability to cry. You have a limited emotional capacity. That doesn't mean everyone else responds the same way you do. Diana's character comes across much like she did in life. She's very young. She's very sweet. She's almost immature for her age. She goes roller skating through the royal palace. Like she's a young girl in the middle of this monarchy who's just there because she checks boxes. No one ever really shows care for her. It's hard to watch for many reasons. One, because you're watching this person being treated like shit. And then you know how it ends up. You know that she died or was killed, depending on your perspective, when she was 36, I think. And the part of her life that we're watching on film is from the 80s, but it still has modern day repercussions. Harry left the royal family. He left the whole damn country and moved to Canada and then to America to get the fuck away from them people. Because of how they were doing his wife the same way they did his mom. You watch this show and you watch like Diana and her desperation to be seen, to be heard, to be cared for. I think of that interview that Megan gave and she was like, no one asked me if I'm okay. And then the interviewer asked her like, are you okay? And she's like, no, no, I'm not okay. It's someone who's like fresh off that feeling from like a month ago, like Jesus. It's like, no wonder Harry left them people. The Royals look terrible. There is nothing redeeming about these people. I'm sure they tried to get this series banned. They look terrible. And there are all these articles rehashing how terrible they did Diana. And they were like, yeah, so if you thought it was bad in the Netflix version, here are some things that Diana said in the interview that didn't make the series. They look terrible. God. The woman who played Diana did a really, really good job. She's a newcomer. I can't remember her name. I'm sorry. And Scully from X-Files, she plays Margaret Thatcher, the prime minister. She was absolutely amazing. Like, she's got to be nominated for everything. If you haven't seen the new season yet, no more than two episodes at a time. The first three are brutal. The last one, this isn't giving away a plot point. Diana does something good, and the press praises her for her goodness. Charles rolls up on Diana's house, because I think they're living separately, He rolls up on her house and flips on her because Diana being too good and being too pretty and dressing too well and the press liking her has upset his mistress. And Diana is like, nigga, in what world do you think I should care about your mistress's feelings? And he was like, because I care about her feelings and you should care about me. And I was like, what in the goddamn gaslighting is going on here? How you even have that train of thought? Much less let those words fly out your mouth to your wife. That is a trash-ass family. I hope none of y'all are dealing with no shit like that. I hope nobody listening is dealing with some shit like that. If you are, you need to get away from those people. Nothing good will come of them. Not no time soon. I was just, oh, it was hard to watch. I can't even imagine to live it. My God. And poor Harry. Knowing that this is how the family you were raised in did your dead mother... I don't know if there's enough therapy in the world to fix that. God bless him. And good for him for getting the fuck out. Him and Megan, they got themselves and that beautiful baby out of that. They were like, we're not living in crazy. We know crazy when we see it and we out. Terrible. Trash. Hmm. Also in TV news, This Is Us had four or five episodes and it was like, yeah, we're done until January 5th. They had a two episode opener. And was like, yeah, we'll be back in two weeks. It was good this season, though. It's been a lot of storyline with the Black Pearsons, which for obvious reasons are my favorite. It was pointed out to me that white folks were complaining on the This Is Us page. They were like, why is there so much story about the Black guy? Why do we keep talking about the Black people? Like the first episode, the Pearsons react to George Floyd's death. And there's significant focus on the black Pearson, specifically Randall, and how he's dealing with that murder being broadcast everywhere. But how he feels about that as a black man. People were like, why do we have to talk about George Floyd? Why do we have to talk about the black people and how they feel? The comments I read were stuff like, I watched This Is Us to escape. Why do we have to talk about Black Lives Matter and and racism? Why all the focus on the black man? And I was like, "One because the black man's the most interesting person on the damn show." And I'm not biased. I'm just saying in terms of the stories they develop, the black people are the most interesting. I'm sorry. I like Kevin too. Kevin's got an interesting storyline. The white brother who be letting his white man jump out here and there. He doesn't mean to, but he does. But they're developing him much better. He was real one-dimensional for, like, the first couple seasons, but now he's coming into his own. Kate is still, she's a little better. She's still largely unlikable, though. She has her moments of grandeur. I'm not really convinced she's quite changed yet. On the um, the George Floyd episode that I was just speaking about, she's all in her feelings about this black man who, who was killed on camera, and she just realized racism existed, and now she wants Randall to... Basically soothe her when he's dealing with his own shit. And Randall's like, no, go sit with your own damn feelings and figure it out. And I was like, wow, that's how all black people felt this past summer when white people just realized like, oh, my God, there's racism. Yes, since 1619, y'all just found out somewhere around June 2020. A lot of white people are not pleased with the storyline. I think it's amazing. I'm thoroughly amused especially the most recent episode, Randall got half naked in the show. And I was like, more of this, please. I feel like I knew Sterling K. Brown, like he was on the cover of Men's Health at some point. So I was like, I knew he was stacked, but he's even more stacked. I was like, oh, his wife is having a good time with him. He is like a whole playground of person. I was like, oh, Mr. Pearson. Oh, we have some updates from some stories that we've spoken about previously. Do you remember the story of Earl and Nina Thomas? This happened right at the beginning of COVID. Earl is a professional NFL player. Nina is his wife and mother of his three children. I'm pulling up the story. I wrote about it on Instagram. I'm sure I spoke about this. Quick recap. It's the beginning of COVID. We're all on restriction. Her husband leaves to go somewhere. He starts posting these videos on Snapchat where it appears that he's with another woman or other women. Nina gathers her girls and a gun and she rolls up on her husband who is in bed with his brother where they're each having sex with at least one other woman. Not with each other, just to be clear. There's like an orgy-esque situation going on. Nina says... I got something for all you hoes. And she and her friends start chasing the women around the house. She eventually chases Earl around a car outside. The police are called. Nina is arrested. She's bailed out the next day by her husband. Her husband releases a statement on Twitter where he says, stuff like this happens. Does it? I'd like to think that everybody's husband doesn't go out and start fucking other women during a global pandemic while leaving their wives at home and then their wives don't show up with their friends threatening to kill people. If that's your life, you need a different life. That's not an orderly or decent way to live. You know what? Some people don't want decent and order. That might just be me. I want peace over everything else. Everyone doesn't want that. Don't let me impose my values on you. I'm just saying. But the update to the story is Shortly after that incident, he gets on Twitter. He says stuff like this happens. He also starts posting pictures. I want to say his birthday wasn't too long after that. And she bought him some gold chain, gold jewelry. So it was like, oh, y'all went through all that shit for you to stay? I mean, they got small kids. So, okay, whatever. The update is Nina announced she's leaving. She filed for divorce the other day. This is via TMZ. According to court records, Nina Thomas put in the paperwork on November 3rd, citing adultery as the grounds for ending their marriage. She added in the documents that the couple has such a strained relationship, there's zero, quote, reasonable expectation of reconciliation. TMZ notes that this is an interesting development because it seemed that they were working through They're hard times. He posted on social media many times in the past few months, praising her, and even celebrated her birthday last month with a photo and a mushy, quote, I love you note. But Nina has made it clear in the documents that she wants out. They do, in fact. I remember I said two or three kids. They have three children together. Well, I wish her the best. Divorce is not easy. Sometimes it's necessary for you just to get the fuck out, though. So... Best of luck to Nina and the Thomas children. I hope that they uh, they make out okay. Another update. Last week, we talked about John Gray and his most recent shenanigans. He posted this long, meandering rant of sorts on Facebook, talking about his wife and the man he was going to be before he dies. And I was so annoyed with him, I just had to cut the podcast short because I was about to, like, blow a gasket. He... Irks me to no greater end. But his wife, who we've spoken about, she had some thoughts to share. There was a post, I want to say on Shade Room, and was talking about, it was making fun of somebody who couldn't spell Birkin. Her boyfriend was asking her what she wanted for her birthday, and she said a Birkin bag. She tried to spell it right twice and, and didn't quite make out. So he was like, well, Michael Kors for you. Okay her Gray found her way into the comments and really it was unnecessary because all she wrote was LOL and a couple people came for her throat. She began to respond, which I was like, sis, this ain't going end well. <clears throat> Somebody talked about her, let's see, someone made a comment about the Lamborghini truck her husband bought her as, as an apology gift for the first time that we know of. That he cheated on her. Emotionally cheated. Because he said that she's still the only woman that he slept with. I'm saying that because he said it. And I'm just, I'm trying to be accurate. I don't believe a shit. But I'm just trying to be accurate. So, Aventer said in response to the woman. Perhaps you should know the real story while you are having your episodes. Y'all have had your field day with your narrative of my life. My car was not an apology gift. All caps. More caps. My receipts will tell the tale. Okay? My car was being built long before his emotional conversations, my love. I'm not bought for a car that I could purchase myself. So please, with your quote, you're worth more talk. A venture was not bought for a vehicle. She's referring to herself in the third person, FYI. So all of the blog informants that have you discussing and conversing, ask me because I'm the one who knows. Prints the emails and receipts with dates from the Lamborghini. Now enjoy your Tuesday. I know I am. I just had to step into the comments. Now I'm done. She said in another comment on the same thread, I have never felt compelled to speak on it in detail like that. I would just say it's not what people think. But people having whole episodes on things they don't know about my life is just beyond me. At any rate, I'm good. Thanks, love have a great day. And this is another comment. I didn't screenshot all of them. This is just the ones that she put some length into. Somebody had said something about her husband flying Mary to Cabo. She said, "That is a lie as well. Ha 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 baby. The only one that has been to Cabo is me. Believe that. Ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. I have that receipt too." I know what was said, boo. I also know what didn't happen. And I also know how bad y'all want it to be true. But he was just talking out the side of his neck. It's not okay. And I'm not cool with anything. But don't you worry your sweet self about it. Well, it's good to know that he didn't take Mary to Cabo. Whole married man, pastor of a church, ain't had no business inviting a woman who ain't his wife to Cabo on a private jet either. But it ain't my life. It ain't my man. It ain't my husband. Thank God. The Venter seems to be whatever she is with the situation. I'm just giving you the update on what she said in the comments on the shade room. I got another update. Many moons ago, we talked about, I believe it was the district attorney in California. She had not been responding to scheduling a meeting with Black Lives Matter protesters. She was seemingly pro-police, as a black woman, no less. So they did a protest outside of her home. A couple of the people protesting decided to roll up on her porch at, I believe, 6.30 in the morning. It was still dark outside during those times. And the husband answered the door, gun first it was a huge news story because i didn't know anything about the back and forth i said at the time and i was like look you want to protest outside the house that's one thing rolling up on folks house ringing the doorbell at 6 30 in the morning that's a lot and folks were like d you're being respectability politics with protests that's not how it works you're trying to be respectable and they're trying to make a point no i'm not trying to be respectable that wasn't my reason for objecting to them rolling up on the porch The reason I objected to them rolling up on the porch was because people do shit like pull guns when they feel their house is being threatened. I'm glad no one was hurt. I recently had the opportunity to meet one of the activists that the gun was pulled on. And I said at the time, I respect her work. I respect her work. I respect her mission. You can't be protesting outside somebody's house and have the unmitigated gall to roll up on their porch for the exact reason that somebody will meet you at the door with a gun. They lucky the old man didn't fire. After meeting one of those protesters from the porch, I think she's dope as hell. I love the way her mind works. I think her tactic on this one questionable. I also need to acknowledge and this is where the update comes from. It was effective. The husband opens the door with a gun. It makes all the news in the papers. Everyone starts talking about, yes, the husband and the gun, but they start talking about the protesters and why they took these extreme measures. There was an election coming up. The DA, Lacey, Jackie Lacey, was that her name? The DA doesn't get 51% of the vote, so they have to have another vote. That happened this past November. She lost. I still don't agree with the method. I still think it's putting your life at risk. And maybe some folks would say that's necessary to get your point across. I don't want to see nobody die. That's sometimes necessary for the mission. And still, I don't want to see nobody die. I'm glad that nobody was harmed in the incident. I should also update that L.A. County did charge the husband with misdemeanor assault for brandishing his weapon. Three counts of assault with a firearm. So in this case, it ended well for black folks. First and foremost, it ended well for the Black Lives Matter protesters. It didn't end so well for the DA and her husband. And still, I would implore y'all who've seen how this turned out, don't try this shit at home. We had a conversation about Mr. Husband coming to the door with a gun on my Instagram page. I want to say it was like three, 400 responses. The overwhelming vast majority of black folks were like, if you protest outside my house, Which is a threat in itself. But okay, you're on public property if you're on the street. But if you should so dare as to come up to my home, you will also be met at the door with my gun. California, I'm not sure if they have a stand your ground statue. I'm not sure. But I know if you try that shit anywhere in the south, your ass will be dead and people would applaud. Be like, oh well, what you want the man to do? You ran up on his motherfucking porch. Again, I'm glad this incident ended well and with peace. Don't try this shit no more. Don't try this shit at home. So those are our updates and that is everything for this episode of Ratchet and Respectable. Thank you as always for tuning in. I'm not sure I'm going to be back next week because it's Thanksgiving. Are you downloading episodes for Thanksgiving? Maybe I'll do one because I'll be sitting in the house eating whatever I decide to eat. I still got to figure out this dinner. We'll see. But if I don't speak to you before next week, have a happy Thanksgiving. And please remember to follow my social media pages for updates on the release of the Ratchet and Respectable merch. So, yeah, that's everything. We'll talk again soon. Okay, bye.